This program is Pulsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show and happy Labor Day weekend here, a long weekend. Uh, I am Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us uh, this morning. I uh, have been doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for 27 years. Now, if you have an investment question or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, Give us a call here at the studio, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And as always, on the Smart Investing Show, that will get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Chase, good morning. Good morning. Well, as I mentioned today, it is uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, about 62% of people this weekend will be celebrating Labor Day weekend with barbecues or something like that. Are you celebrating? I, I think I invited you to the house, didn't I? Yeah, I'll be over there on Monday probably and then uh, hanging out with a couple friends tomorrow and today. So looking cool. forward. going to be a nice nice hot weekend too. <laughs> cool. Well, and we got to remember what this really was. I mean, you know, right now things are kind of different going through the COVID, you know, shutdown and everything else. But back in around the late 1800s, um, it was a whole different story. People worked, when you worked, you worked 10 hours a day, six days a week, no breaks, nothing. And don't forget, we're not talking about office work, talking about working in, in the coal mines, uh, on the railroads. I mean, these people were working very hard and also in factories. And also too, I mean, there was kids as young as six years old working in factories. So it was a whole different thing and it took years. I mean, there's a major, if you look back in history, there was a major problem. It was not until Henry Ford came out and said, I'm going to double the wage of these factory workers to make them happier for $5 a day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, but it did change a lot because then their workers more happier and so forth. And this is when it kind of started to saying, Hey, let's try to keep our, uh, treat our workers better. Uh, and maybe they'll work a little bit harder and not be so adversary. So that's how the whole thing started. So when you have that hamburger hot dog, think about how nice you have it working maybe eight hours a day versus, and again, you're not in the coal mine uh, at a hundred degrees plus, which today, this weekend is going to be a hot one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was confused because we were talking about this beforehand. You said, I have some special information on Liberty. And I'm like, yeah, I thought you were going to tell me like they're for me personally, but it was oh, yeah. for the listeners. <laughs> for the listeners yeah. That makes more sense now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you going to talk about? So, <laughs> so there it is. Uh, interesting stuff. And again, shows what inflation is and again, why it's so important to invest because $5 back in the day, wow, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Now $5 in a day, geez, that'll barely get you that Starbucks latte. Uh, with tax, it will not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, some things that are very important for our investors here, our listeners. Uh, tech concentration in the market. We've talked about this, and things could be changing. Now, we've talked about the over-concentration in the market. Uh, we had a, a, a pullback, gosh, I think on Thursday. Wasn't that like 5% of the NASDAQ? Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a big decline. And, and the big question here for people 
is this the start of something or is this the uh, just a, a short-term blip? And I, I know, and this is where it gets difficult. And this is where the momentum investors, this is where you don't know what to do. You have no way of knowing what you're paying for something. So you look at the momentum saying, oh, well, you know, it's just a pullback. I'll buy more. But what if it's shifting to where people saying, yeah, this is way too high. I mean, because you look at, you know, things and it, if it falls 5%, ah, oh, it's just a pullback. Then it starts to go down 10%. Yeah, it'll be fine. You know, it, it's Tesla. It's Apple. Then it starts to go down 20%. Now you're like, ah, I, I don't know. And then it goes down 30%. Now I think people start going for the doors and getting out of those companies where they're freaking out. So I think if it does continue, don't forget, things can fall very, very quickly. And I mean, the numbers that we had here for you, we kind of teased a little bit last week. And I said, don't put me on the spot. I didn't have the numbers. I want <laughs> and to talk I did. about this week. <laughs> you talk about this week since I took it last week. Go ahead. <laughs> but if you look here, there, there was a recent report from Bank of America. Now shows that U.S. tech stocks at $9.1 trillion. So just the U.S. technology sector, $9.1 one trillion dollars is more valuable than the entire European stock market at 8.9 trillion dollars and this includes the UK and Switzerland now for comparison sakes you know we always say a number means nothing at all unless you have something to compare it to back in 2007 the European market was four times larger than US tech stocks so I mean you've just seen this huge appreciation in US tech stocks and quite personally I I don't think that we've had an invention of the internet again, where all of a sudden that tech stocks should be that much more valuable, but they are. Right. And, and the thing too, uh, we can't talk too much about our portfolio uh, return wise because of the SEC, uh, they, they call it advertising. So we, that's why we never mentioned how our portfolio is doing. But with our portfolio, we are now seeing that the fundamentals are really paying off. And, I, and, and again, when we do what we're doing, it's not like, oh, I'll, I'll give you six months, see how I do. No, don't even talk to us. I'm not going to talk to you. When we invest, it is for three to five years, but these past few days, because of what's going on, our portfolio actually, it was actually up, I believe, yesterday uh, when things were down. And, and and that's what you have to look at. This is when you stay to buying businesses and not being part of the hype game. And I don't know, we don't know if this is the end of the, the, the tech boom or not. Could be. The thing is, no one knows for sure. And this is how people got burned back in the last tech boom. Oh, it's just a blip. And they, then they step in and buy more. And then it goes down. They step in and buy more. And before they know it, they start selling because, I mean, these companies trading at 30, 40, 50, 60 times earnings makes no sense. And I can't, and we've always said, we don't know when this is going to end. But I am for certain, 100% certain, it will end because it has in the past, going back to 1600s with tulip bulb crisis, same thing. This will not last. Is this the end of it? We don't know, but we're not going to play that game. Yeah, and I, I always bring up, but it is so important to point out, Alan Greenspan, 1996 was his irrational exuberant speech. Alan Greenspan, for those that don't know, was the Fed chair, very intelligent man when it came to the economy. Mm -hmm. He said, again, that things were just crazy in 1996, made no sense. There was that irrational exuberance. When did the tech crash happen? About five years later. Yeah. Yeah. So things are, I mean, the crash could be coming around the corner, or what could happen too is these companies, maybe they don't crash. I think they will. They just don't go anywhere for 10 years. That's another possibility. Yeah. There's, I'll call it a time crash because you're not having, you know, that that appreciation that you should in the portfolio and you could just have dead money for several years. And you're so right, Chase, because what could happen is that, say a company's trading at 40 times earnings and, it, and, and their earnings right now, I'm just throwing out numbers, could be $10 a share. Well, it could take them 
10 years to go from $10 a share to $20 a share to justify that high price. Now, in the meantime, it's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. But for 10 years, you make no money. And that's when people say, oh, I made no money in the stock market. I've often said, depends if I like the person or not. If I like the person, I say, well, that's because you did a silly thing. We don't like the person. I said, well, it's because he did a stupid thing. <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, the thing is, you've got to, the, the stock market is not a crazy place. You make it crazy by doing silly things. If you look at the stock market like a market of stocks and you pull out good quality businesses and say, I'm going to buy this business because I can invest in this business with very low debt. I'm only paying 10 times earnings for this business. Where will it be in three, four, five years? Gosh, if, if I make... Uh, you know, if it goes from uh, $10 a share to $17 a share over five years, like, holy crap, that's 70%. That's a pretty good gain. Not including dividends. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, I don't know. The thing is, is this the end of the, the tech craziness? Who knows? But the thing is, if you keep at the party too long, you all know, you stay at the party too long, you end up drunk and don't know what happened that next day. And the same thing happens with investing. So, and the problem is people oftentimes will... Oh, you know, I'm a I'm a conservative investor, and then you start to hear, you know, Joe Smith down the road. It's like, God, Joe Smith, he's not the smartest guy over there. And sorry if somebody's named Joe Smith out there. I don't mean to offend you, <laughs> but you know, if you look there, and gosh, you know, he's not the smartest guy, but he bought Tesla. And he's up a thousand percent. Oh, you just get so frustrated, and you're like, well, now I'm going to buy Tesla, but now you buy at the peak, right. and now things go down. So people have that, and ah, oh, you know, I'm not like that. Right. And then you start to realize, I am like that. You have that fear of missing out, and you want to be the cool kid that's buying Tesla yep. at these high prices. And, you know, we've had some clients ask that question. Like, Brent, can we just please buy some Tesla? Can we please buy some Amazon? I tell you, it's like, it's your money. If you want to do it, we'll do it. But I highly recommend not to. And if, by the way, you do that, you can't come back to me complaining that, you know, five years from now, like, oh, I didn't do very well. Yeah, because you did something silly. So, uh, again, we, we give you all the reasons not to, but you get that feeling of, I'm the only guy in the world that doesn't have Amazon in my portfolio, which is not true, <laughs> but you feel that way. And then the, the other thing too, that people, they don't tell you like, oh yeah, I did so great on Amazon. You know, I'm up, you know, like five times on Amazon. I did so great. You should have bought it. They won't tell you that they bought one share uh, of their portfolio. And even though that has gone up five times it barely moved the needle on their entire investment portfolio. So that's it's like when they go to Vegas. Oh, yeah, I won, I won. They never tell you when you lose there. So well, let's move on to uh, real estate because um, COVID, uh, will it impact real estate? Uh, how will it impact real estate? Recent data from Moody's Analytics uh, shows apartment construction estimated to be down 15.6%, office development down estimated about 10%, and retail is estimated to be down about 15.7% in a post-COVID environment. Yeah, the other thing, too, I'm looking at is there is a core site research study that estimates over the next three to five years, approximately 25% of America's near 1,000 malls will close. I mean, it, it's it's quite interesting. And, uh, you know, what is expected to do well, though? Industrial development is expected to rise 3.6%. But the interesting thing here, I was shocked by All this. Right. Some municipalities may be cautious to zone or rezone areas for industrial use because they are typically taxed at half to two-thirds the rate of commercial properties. So I'm very curious to see, it's like, are these municipalities going to be smart, which I hate to say it, most of them are not, and say, <laughs> okay, we'll take half the revenue from something that's actually producing, or we'll take no revenue <laughs> from, <laughs> something, from something that we can tax higher, but it's not producing anything. <laughs> you know? it, it, it's it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting picture from the municipality part. From the real estate side, I, this is one area where I, 
I keep telling people with REITs, I think a lot of people are allured by their their high yields, mm-hmm. but you have to be very cautious when you're looking at REITs at this time. And the one thing too, I want to caution people as well is that uh, may these estimates, they are based on current uh, things. I've seen this happen many times where, oh, this is going to happen. Well, they base it on what's going on right now. Things could change in three years where all of a sudden something happens to where it is cool to have an apartment again. It is cool to be downtown again. Uh, and actually, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the, the famous comedian, he said, don't worry, New York City will be back. I mean, it happened before during 9-11. People moved away from New York City. They, they come back. So you got to be careful with some of these projections that people do because they're based on current facts. And one thing about life, it changes, changes constantly, which we don't see what could happen down the road. So basing any projection on current information now, eh, maybe malls do become a great to be. Or what could happen is that the malls come up with some great thing. I don't know what it is, but some great thing to where like, wow, I want to go back to the mall. So, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I was just driving by UTC Mall, uh, on the way to the studio this morning, and I noticed they finally, that old Sears that was there, they, they tore that down, yep. and they're doing the front of it, and uh, I used to live over here, and uh, before it was in construction, and now I'm, I drove by, I was like, wow, that actually looks really, really nice. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I do think that you are going to see a lot of mall closures, but the highly leveraged ones are going to be the ones, because I think these numbers are quite indicative of what could happen over the next year to two years. I think next five years, I think we will see some type of return to normalcy. But the problem is those companies that can't last in the next two, three, four years Mm -hmm. before things come back, they're gone. There's no way they can maintain that, which is going to be very good for other malls, for other strip malls as well, which are the retailers that can you know, survive this, this difficult time period. You know, I think there's a lot of apartment complexes that are extremely over leveraged. Those are going to go away. It's the ones with too much leverage that are going to be decimated and the strong will survive. And the strong, I think in five years will be amazing opportunities because they'll take market share. And, and also too, it's the malls that are over leveraged and the ones that say, and I'll use the Polaroid camera. No, Polaroid cameras going around forever. Don't worry about it. It's going to come back. And all of a sudden, what, what's this digital thing that came out? <laughs> same thing with the malls. If if they if the mall owners think it's going to be the same thing and people just come there to go shopping, they're wrong. They've got to create some reason other than just shopping for people to get to that mall. And again, that that the thing you're talking about UTC that had to cost a lot of money. And I got to just voice my opinion here. One thing pisses me off is them charging me to go to UTC to park. That is just wrong. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> but the other one I was looking at too is uh, office REITs. Uh, I, I think there could be an opportunity in some office REITs. I'd be very cautious of this group though. I mean, I, I was talking to a, a guy I went and, and met up with uh, the other day and he was working from home for a little bit and now he's like going back in the office and I was asking him, I was like, could you really see yourself working at home for five years, let's say? And he's like, no. I mean, you, you just, I, I think right now it's like, yeah, I could work from home, but I just think you would get so bored. You know, you, yeah. you, you have like no human interaction. You're not seeing your, your coworkers. I believe, you know, your co- coworkers is like a team. Right. I can't imagine like playing football and, oh yeah, we'll show up on game day and that's it. You build no camaraderie. There's no like <laughs> team factor there, which could be a, a big problem. So I, I do think this work at home trend is here now, but I think, gosh, you know, five years down the road again, I just don't see how people love working from home. I mean, you don't have that reprieve. The home is no longer your relaxation spot. It's now part of your work spot. 
And I just, I don't see how it's a long-term trend. And I agree with you 100%. I, I do think there's probably some people, some jobs that will stay home just because for them it fits. But overall, the masses, it does not fit. You talk about the camaraderie, you talk about like being around uh, higher executives that actually can learn from them and so forth. There's so many reasons to go back to uh, the office. They will go back. But again, things change. They, you have this big, big spike like we have now. And then they'll go back somewhat, but not quite the same way they were before. But yeah, I think office reads, they're, they're, they're still going to be yeah. some, I, some. I, I mean, the, the thing I would definitely take away from these studies is be cautious, but also I think there's some great opportunities in real estate. Yeah. Very important, the public real estate investment trust, be very, very cautious of the private ones because those are high expenses and there's really no data that, that right. in my opinion, is trustworthy. So I, I like public reads, but you got to find the right ones here. And Chase, before we take our calls here, and by the way, phone numbers, we'll be taking calls in a couple minutes here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. You want to talk about investing, maybe you're not sure how to invest, uh, you have an equity, a stock that you're, you you bought or looking at buying, you want to have a fundamental analysis on it, that's what we do, 866-577-2473. Chase, I'm so excited when I saw this come out yesterday, like, wow, and I'm talking about the jobs report. Uh, another good month for the jobs report. Non-farm payrolls rose by 1.37 million in the month of August, which topped the estimate of 1.32 million, and the unemployment rate fell uh, to 8.4%, which was very strong compared to last month's 10.2 and expectation 9.8. We did far better on this uh, than people expected. I, I, I was even kind of shocked. I thought, okay, we'd be in the nines. I'd be thrilled, but 8.4. Wow. I mean, that's really good. And it's funny because there's people out there that, that continue to be negative and say, Oh, 8.4. That's still terrible. And yeah, you're right. If this was January and we had an 8.4% unemployment rate, I'd, I'd be upset. I'd be pissed yeah. off. You know, that's, that's a high unemployment rate. But given that we had this government induced lockdown that led to a government induced economic recession, it wasn't because of the financial fundamentals. There was no real bubbles that caused this financial crisis. It was completely government-induced. I'd say we're in a pretty darn good spot to be at 8.4% unemployment. I mean, that that's quite strong, and especially we're climbing back at a good rate. I mean, you talk about about a million jobs created in a month. That's very good. I mean, if we can continue on even a, a pace of, you know, the high mid-100,000 range job creation, we can climb back over the next, I'd say, year and a half-ish to be kind of back to where we used to be. And, and what's amazing, too, if you look back at the news, I'm going to say back March, April, uh, when the unemployment hit, I believe around 16%, uh, the pundits saying no way in a year we'll be below a double digit. It's going to be double digit for at least a year and so forth. And here we are what, five months later? Not even, because August is only four months, really. Um, down to 8.4%. Uh, and again, the numbers now, you know, and people do want to talk about like, oh, but, you know, they're temporary jobs and so forth. One thing that people don't realize is that jobs begot jobs. Is that because you start working, you go back to work, now all of a sudden you are out. Uh, you're going to stop by, you know, maybe the 7-Eleven and pick something up, or you're going to go to the store. You, you, you start creating activity, and that's what our jobs are is the activity. So you're going to see more of that than just sitting at home saying, well, I'm concerned. And then the job, you, you're real busy. You feel like this, and the, the boss starts talking to you like, you know, you're doing a great job. We really need you and so forth. 
um, you feel more comfortable with that. And then we got the Jolts report. Was it, And again, I think that comes out next week, I think. I believe it was next week or the next following, week. yeah. I think mm-hmm. we'll see some good news on that as well. But there's jobs out there. And I and I and and now for, what, one month, uh, they've not received that extra $600, uh, I don't want to call it a bonus. Uh, what, do, what do you call it? Unemployment. Unemployment. Uh, not receiving that. So I think that kind of pushed people off the couch saying, yeah, I guess I better get back to work and make some money here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, that I look at, I talk about how we can kind of continue to build off of this. And and don't get me wrong, we're not going to be able to sustain, you know, 1.3, 1.4 million jobs a month for the next five, six months. That's just not realistic. Right. But one thing I'm looking at is if we can, you know, sustain a good rate, I think it's very likely. I mean, even though the numbers have come down as people have started to go back to work, some businesses have gone out of business. So now these people don't have a job to go back to. That is true. Yeah. But for the most part, things look pretty good. And there's still 6.2 million people out there that say they're on temporary layoff. And not all 6.2 million of those people are going to get their jobs back. That's just the truth of the matter. But I said, even over the next few months, if half of those people can go back, that's 3 million more jobs created. Yeah. You know, that's still a very good rate. And that's going to continue to lower the unemployment rate. So, I mean, things are shaping up to be good. Again, it's not going to be an easy path. We're still going to have these bumps. We're still going to have stock market corrections. We're still going to have businesses go out of business. There's going to be, unfortunately, the highlights in the news is going to be those negative points I'm talking about. But for the most part, on average, I'd say we're doing pretty well. And the difference, too, this was a government-induced recession. The difference being is there's a lot of money out there. The M1, M2 is somewhere around $25 trillion dollars. Savings rate for people is up. Uh, you mentioned about you know if half of those six was it six point two million people go back to work. Well, we had one point what four million jobs created. Well, between now and the end of the year, if half of those jobs come back, that's three million jobs. That would probably bring us, I'm guessing here, down to maybe a six percent range unemployment. Um, not saying you create any other jobs. Um, so. Uh, people want to be uh, pessimistic many times, like, oh, and it's called uh, recency bias. It's just because it happened before, and I'm starting to hear more people, oh, we're going to have a crash, we're going to have a crash. We're not going to have a crash. There's no reason to have a crash, unless, except you're talking about technology. Technology could have a crash, but if you're buying food companies, you're buying transportation companies, you're buying insurance companies, you're not going to have a crash. I'm sorry, the economy is rebuilding, people are spending People have money. And yes, I know you're going to talk about somebody, not you, but the audience. Someone's going to say, oh, but I'm really in, in dire straits. Or I know this guy that he has no money and so forth. He's way behind his mortgage. Yes, those are out there. But as a whole, remember, there's 330 million people in the country. As a whole, people are not doing that bad. Yeah, absolutely. So, all righty. Uh, oh, you, you know what? I, I, and I just did want to mention the, the jobless claims because that was kind of an addition to that. It came out on what, uh, Thursday? Yeah, and, and that's more recent data because this is from August. This is always from the week before or the continuing claims from two weeks before. So I like to look at the jobless claims. To be quite honest with you, before I used to not really look at the jobless claims because mm-hmm. unemployment was <laughs> a good it's exciting. Spot, right, right. You know, but now it's like unemployment was such a big problem. This is very good data to kind of ch- check out. And uh, some good numbers again and jobless claims. As initial claims of 881,000 were well below the estimate of 950,000, but there was even better news on the continuing claims. Yeah, the continuing claims report shows that the number fell a 1.24 million from last week to 13.254 million. That's important because because people are there's less people actually claiming it. So that when that number falls, it's a positive. The job market appears to to be witnessing a nice V-shaped recovery, and we will see uh, get to see more insight 
well, we, we got the, the jobs report there. So um, things are positive. And also, too, Chase, we're talking about because starting to hear people, oh, I'm afraid of the election. I'm afraid of the election. Well, we did look at saying, unfortunately, November 3rd is a Tuesday. So that means it'll be five weeks prior to the jobs report. But what's going to be focused on are these jobless claims is what's going to be happening. So that's going to show how the economy is doing going forward. One week, well, actually, the election's on Tuesday. Jobless claims come out on Thursday. So that's going to show people, again, continuing of how the economy is doing. Yeah. And I, I still think we're going to see good numbers over the next couple of months. I, again, I, there's a big difference, as you said, between, oh, we're going to have a crash. There's a difference between a crash and a slowdown. I think yeah. we're going to have you know, short-term corrections, I think, you know, very easily we could witness a 10% correction. I, that happens all the time. That's nothing to worry about. Right. That's just part of investing. On the economy, I think you'll see deceleration, but deceleration is different than crash. Deceleration just means you're not growing as fast as you were. But yeah, you can't, as I said, I think last week, you can't grow at 60% for month after month after month. You're going to be at an annualized rate of, geez, 2,000% at some yeah. point. Yeah. It's just not going to work out. Right. So, understand the difference and a lot of the the media will point out oh you know things are yeah they're still good but they're decelerating that's not a bad thing and, and also too remember you may see that 10 percent correction which I, I don't think we will but if we do remember <clears throat> what we talked about earlier in the show about the tech concentration they're very heavily weighted i i think it's almost what 25 percent of the s p 500 is just five tech companies maybe a little bit less now but if they continue to fall and they get hit by 20, 30, 40%, you could see the S&P down a, a lot, but there could be other companies. We talk about the insurance companies, the food companies and so forth that actually did quite well, but it won't show up. I'm going to disagree with you there. I, I do think we will see a correction over the next month or two. I, I, I just think, I mean, we saw, I think the S&P at one point on Thursday was down like three, three and a half percent. Then mm-hmm. yesterday it did recover some, but at one point it was down again two. Three percent, right? That's already five percent decline. I mean, I I really think that because of the tech over concentration and the amount of I'm going to say inexperienced money in the market, I I really think we could see that ten percent correction. But I don't think it's going to be because of economic fundamental reasons. I think it's just going to be overvalued companies and people taking profits at this time. And you bring up a good point too about the unexperienced traders in the market and Robinhood and and so forth, that again, could actually move that. And, and 10%, you're right, is really not that much when you think about it, especially when you got that heavy concentration. So uh, I, I'm thinking the old way, like, oh no, our company's not coming down. And again, I don't think, and I gotta be careful, I think I can say this, I don't see our portfolio coming anywhere near a 10% correction. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I'd agree with that. And I mean, the other thing to remember is we always point out when people come in and talk to us for, for their first free consultation is we, we talk about, you know, on average over the last 40 years, you witness a 13.8% correction annually. That, yep. That's what the average decline is on average per year from top to bottom. So yep. these corrections, they, they happen quite frequently. It's not anything to be scared of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, phone number is 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. As always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's just kind of mention uh, while we're waiting for the calls to come in. Uh, let's mention Tesla here because Tesla. Uh, you know, we've done posts about this in the, in the past regards to Tesla, but now the numbers are even crazier. Tesla's market cap, which is a proxy for a company value, is now essentially equal to Toyota, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Honda, 
uh, GM, Ford combined. And this was kind of at the peak when Tesla had a market cap of $450 billion. Has come back a little bit. But still, this is showing you how crazy things got when it had that much. And when you compare the sales, it just shows really how crazy it is. Yeah, and I, I want to be very clear. This market cap was from Tuesday. Yeah. Because Tesla is actually down 20% over the last three days. Yeah, so you're, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, I know they dropped, but yeah. yeah. And uh, we kind of predicted it, I guess, you know, yeah. but I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to Tesla in the short term, but I mean, I, I, it just boggles my mind. When you list those names of the companies, it's like, that's a lot of companies. Oh, Tesla's not a car company. Yes, they are a car company. They mil build cars. That's right. what they do. But as you said, I mean, the sales is just ridiculous. I mean, you talk about the market cap being about $450 billion. Well, Tesla's sales for its most recent year was $24.6 billion. Oh, wow, that, that doesn't sound too bad, right? You know, that's pretty yeah. nice. Well, you look at it, the group of automakers we just mentioned, and again, I'm going to list them again because these are some big, big names here. You know, Toyota, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Honda, GM, and Ford, all those companies combined equal to Tesla. Well, their total sales, $1.1 trillion about. That's a lot more than $24.6 billion. <laughs> a lot of big difference, yeah. Trillions. Versus small billions is what it is. And, and again, the point we're trying to make uh, is that you've got to be careful when you, when you do these crazy things. You, and if you think you're not gambling by buying Tesla, I'm sorry, I have to disagree with you. Uh, you're gambling based on the fundamentals and the facts we just gave you. And yeah, I know Elon Musk is a genius. And yes, I think that Tesla is a good car. But still, when it comes to investing, you know, Chase, I, 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 I was shocked when I saw this. But a guy came out yesterday. He was on CNBC. His target price for Tesla, $15,000. <laughs> After adjusting, wow, that's yeah, another three times about the amount. That's, yeah. I, I just, it's laughable. It, it's, it's laughable. I'm thinking, do they put this guy on just to have people kind of make fun of him or just to, 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 to do what? Because again, $15,000. I think to give this guy credit, he wasn't saying it's going to happen tomorrow. He just said it's going to be 2025. So, but even that, you would I, you would have to sell, I believe, a car to every single person in the world with no competition. No one else is going to do an electric car. That's the only way you can kind of get to that. Or or Elon Musk comes out. I know he has other, you know, the SpaceX and so forth. Maybe something big happens there, but it, it's just kind of crazy. And, and this is why, this is what irritates me. This is why people say the stock market is a gamble. It's risky. You talked to somebody last week, oh, the, the stock market's rigged. It is not rigged. And I'm sorry, it is not. It's a great place to go in, step in, buy a small piece of large company. You just got to understand, you're going to average 8 to 10%. You're not going to make a 1,000% on a company. It, right. It's just, that is ludicrous. That is out of the norm. And, you know, the, the reason before we take the calls here, just wanted to bring up, the reason I think that, you know, Tesla and Apple did have this climb, I think the stock splits led to it because, as we said, there's a lot of inexperienced money in the market right now. Oh, the stock splits are going to happen. This is going to be great. And I really believe that there is a lot of institutional money that stepped in when these companies announced the stock splits. And I'm going to say it here. And, oh, let's take advantage of these idiots out here. They're going to buy after the stock split. <laughs> And I think they stepped in. They drove up the price. Yeah, and you're talking about the institutional? The institutional right. companies stepped in, drove up the price of Apple and Tesla before the stock split and said, yeah, we'll, we'll buy it. And then we'll sell it to these retail investors after the stock split because they'll be there to buy it. Right. Because they don't know what a stock split is. They just see, you know, oh, it was at 500, now it's at 100. Wow, let's buy it. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, after these 13Fs come out, if some of these institutions did buy and sell it to and, these and the people. And the 13Fs is a listing of what people actually have and so forth. We... Have, we 
do have to file that every quarter, I think it is. It's yeah. Calendar quarter, yeah. Yeah. And I, I did want to say too, there's a great quote kind of on the stock splits. Uh, Leon Cooperman, who's a, a famed uh, uh, hedge fund guy, and I think he now runs a family office, not a hedge fund yeah. any longer, but he did very, very well. He said, you know, my dad once told me if he gave me five singles for a $5 bill, I'm not better off. Same thing with stock splits. Right. It, it's no values created. And somebody's like, yeah, but you have more utility. Basically, you could use the dollar bills if they only take dollars. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's the case that you could buy the stock at $100, but you don't want to. It's not going to change your net worth at all. Right. And and that, uh, you, you know, comparison, you're going to have more utility. That doesn't compare with the stocks. So we're trying to make it a point there. And then people, yeah, but just, it's like, no, don't try just. Don't try to dig into details because you're just trying to make a point that a stock split does nothing at all with what his dad was trying doesn't to say. doesn't make you richer like the, yeah. that Cooperman was saying. Right, right. So, all righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. Let's head out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hi, guys. Tell you what. Um, the stock I've been looking at for a while now is Schwab. It was... Um, you know, back in January, probably up in the 50s. Now you're down in the 30s. Um, has decent margins to the company, but uh, the stock just seems to be stuck, and I'm wondering if there's some value there. Well, that could be a good thing to look at. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to look at uh, Charles Schwab. Their symbol is SCHW. Uh, not a great start here, unfortunately, John. A P.E. ratio 15.2. That is above the industry at 10.4. Price to sales, 4.2, very expensive as well, versus 1.8 for the industry. Price to book value, 1.7 versus 1.1. And price to cash flow, 13.4 versus 7.2. Now, you do get a 2% dividend. They use 29% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, year over year, sales are down 6.4%. Industry up 1.6. Earnings per share did fall by 10.2. The industry was down 31, so that's a positive. Uh, they are a financial company, so you really got to understand the balance sheet more. I do see a debt to equity of 1,000% versus 322 for the industry. And I know that they just bought or merged something with TD Ameritrade. I don't know how that financial deal was. So if I was going to invest in Schwab, I would want to know the details of that deal. Uh, we see return on equity, 14. That's very good compared to the industry at 8. Net profit margin, 29.6 versus 17.7. And I just got a comment where people say, how can they make money if all trades are free? They have a lot of other ways to make money when you do invest with Charles Schwab, showing by that profit margin of almost 30%. And then we see what turnover is 0.5 versus 2.6. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward for Schwab? Yeah, so here looking at the average estimate for 2021, gosh, I see a estimate of $1.88. That would give us a target sell price of $30.46. Unfortunately, the current price for Charles Schwab, $36.20. And uh, as you mentioned there, John, uh, looking at the 52-week range, the high was $51.65, and that low was $28. So, I, I, I kind of like Schwab, to be honest with you. I, I think they have a lot going for them in terms of their reach. I think they have a lot of investors and so forth, but I was kind of hoping for better numbers here. And the other thing I, I'm curious about is that TD Ameritrade deal. How are they going to be incorporating that? What is the you know synergies that they're going to receive from that? Is 2022, perhaps, is that supposed to be when they really recognize a lot of things? Because if they unlock a lot of value there, maybe it makes some sense, but right now it just looks a little expensive. Yeah, and you got to really understand the business because, again, they, they don't make any money off the trades. 
So you can't say, oh, but the activity's up. Where are they making their money from? We've talked about how they do make it kind of behind the scenes. I think they get one or two cents when they actually trade on the exchange and so forth. So there's things they do. They got the bank. Uh, so there's other things. you. If you're going to invest in this company, you got to understand how they're making money because if you don't, you won't know how they're going to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, super, guys. Thanks again. Okay, John. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's interesting with uh, Schwab, too. Uh, I mean, you talk about the bank. They have their intelligent portfolio that they do where they'll yep. take basis points from that. They have their ETFs, their mutual funds. I mean, they, they really have a lot of different revenue streams. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've never looked at the breakdown of it, but I am curious, you know, what's their big money maker? Because obviously they don't make any money from trading, so no, no. <laughs> that's not going to help them. But I, I am curious where they get their money from. And the other thing, too, with the TD Ameritrade deal, just very curious... What are they going to do? Are they going to convert TD Ameritrade people into Schwab and get rid of TD Ameritrade? Or are they going to just keep people in TD Ameritrade? You know, it's a good point. Uh, We could say gradual shift because I think a lot of people really like TD Ameritrade. So maybe Mm -hmm. it'll be Schwab, TD Ameritrade. You will kind of combine the name so everybody feels happy that they're still a Schwab or they're still TD Ameritrade. And eventually, many companies, they drop the, the second part years down the road. So, uh, But the trading, I think they use as a loss leader uh, yeah. is what they're actually doing to get your money in there. Uh, they also have robo-advising. I don't know what they charge for that. We've talked about how we don't really like robo-advising. I think it's like 25 basis points is yeah. my guess. But again, if you have, don't they have like a trillion dollars or something now? Oh, it's, it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. So if you have just 10% of that trillion dollars of robo-advising and you're charging 0.25%, Big revenue maker. So that, that's, I think they're trying to get economies of scale is what they're trying to do. So, all right, uh, let's go back to the phones. Uh, phone numbers 866 577 2473. Again, that's 866 577 2473. Let's go down to normal heights and speak with Mike. Mike, you're in the Smart Vessel, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. Good morning. Um, along with the same industry, the financial industry, I'm looking at uh, Prudential Financial. Okay. Uh, for, for growth and the dividend. Okay. And do you hold it or looking at buying it? I do not hold it yet, but I'm certainly looking at it. All right. Well, let's see if we can guide you here and give you some good uh, good pointers here. Coming again is a Prudential Financial Incorporated. Their symbol is P R U. Uh, unfortunately here, Mike, no PE ratio versus 9.5 for the industry. So we'd want to know why they had no earnings over the last 12 months, and these are for reporting numbers from, from uh, June 30th. We, we do see price of sales looks good, 0.46 versus 0.6. That's positive. Price of tangible book value, wow, 0.42, but the whole industry is at 0.59. And, and, and this means you're paying only 42 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets. I can't figure out why that is so low off the top of my head. I mean, it, it just seems crazy. You could sell those tangible assets for, for a dollar. You do, do a lot better liquidating the company. Uh, price of cash flow, not very good, 43 versus 2.5. Now, uh, you do get a nice dividend of 6.3%, but as I said, they have no earnings so therefore, you have to question where they're getting the money to pay that 6.3% dividend. Could they cut that dividend? What is going on? You have to understand because they cut the dividend, the stock price could fall as well. Not looking good on the sales. Sales year over year for the last 12 months are down 8%. Industry down 1.5. Earnings per share fell by 106%. Industry down 207 uh, this is a financial company, so the balance sheet is a little bit different. Uh, debt to equity at 34 looks okay compared to the industry at 27. Uh, we do see a return on equity of a negative 0.3. 
while the industry is a positive 6.1, net profit margin a negative 0.4 versus a positive 6.6, no receivable, no inventory turnover. A lot of negatives here I don't like. Chase, what do you see for the earnings going forward? Yeah, to start the current price here for Prudential, $69.71, uh, off that 52-week high at $97.24, but also well off the 52-week low of $38.62. Now, if I look forward to uh, December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share of $11.61. That would give us a very, very attractive target sell price of $188.08. Now, the area of caution I have for you, Mike, is just the, the life insurance industry I, I, I worry about. Now, I don't know if Prudential has other types of insurance as they do, but I believe life insurance is their, their big one, considering the, the name of the company, uh, you know, Prudential Financial, I think is Prudential Life is kind yeah. of their big one. Yep. And the reason I point this out is we talked about the Fed now wanting to keep interest rates lower for longer. It really hurts insurance companies because they try and invest those premiums that they receive so they can have those payouts down the road. Well, we know that earlier this year when the Fed got interest rates down to zero, actually, I believe it was Prudential. Yeah. And then there was other insurance companies as well. They had to cut products and different things because they couldn't afford them any longer. So I'm just a little bit worried about the business in a low interest rate environment. And also, I'm just not a big fan of a lot of life insurance products that they they aren't great investments. And, and I do remember we, we did a post on our social media back then about insurance companies where they're actually turning away life insurance because they can't make any money from it. So Chase, you brought up a good point. That I totally forgot, forgot about that until you said that because insurance companies are not having a good time with these in, interest rates. Uh, so I'd have to say with well, the numbers I've seen, even though we had a good target sell price. Nice dividend. Nice it's dividend. Just too many things worry me here. I, I think there'd be other things to invest in. I mean, it's it, it just, I'd be worried holding this one. All right, Mike? Oh, thank you very much. Okay, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye -bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. Uh, let's go out to Ramita and speak to Arturo. Arturo, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Okay, um, I have a question on a company that just came up uh, this week, uh, a merger with, uh, it's called Kensington Capital Acquisition, KCAC. Mm -hmm. Although there's nothing uh, available as far as earnings, but supposedly uh, it's a merger with uh, Quantum, Quantum uh, Scape, a future of batteries, uh, What's your take on that? I know there's some high flyer, uh, Bill Gates and supposedly investors uh, marketing on the future for the future. Right, right. But there's no earnings. Uh, should one take, a, a, I guess, uh, a risk purchasing some of the stocks of this company for the near future, for the far future, I should say. Yeah, and, and, and Arturo, if I can't understand something, I'll never take that risk. And I did put in uh, KCAC into, uh, you know, Reuters here. Did you get anything, Chase? Or is it a foreign? I'm not getting much. Not getting much. I, I, got, no, I got nothing. Says they, they say we currently do not follow this company. So we'll, And that's always a problem, Arturo. You've got to make sure you can get all the information because if not, and you still invest in the company and you lose money, you're going to say, darn it, Why'd I do that? You know, I didn't have all the information. I shouldn't have done it. Um, and if you win on it, you know, it's like, okay, well, congratulations. But then you're just kind of gambling. Well, what did you get on it, Chase? Uh, not much. It just kind of popped up and got some pricing information on it. And I, I'm guessing kind of based off of what you've mentioned here, Arturo, is uh, it is, my guess, is a SPAC. 
you know, one of those new investments where they basically have kind of equity and then they'll they'll merge with a different type of company. It sounds like they do quantum computing and so forth. So there's more information on the company that they merged with than the SPAC because the SPAC really doesn't have much information. It's just kind of almost like a holding pot and investors bet on, you know, what are they going to invest in? This is to be quite frank with you, is purely speculative. I have no idea what's going to happen here. I mean, we've seen, you know, Nikola, when they merged with their SPAC, I mean, gosh, they went up huge. Yeah, and they came down. (laughs) And then they came down, exactly. And I see this one's up 20%, and gosh, I see a price here of like $10. It jumped up to $22. You don't want to catch it at the peak here, and all of a sudden it goes back down to, you know, $12, $13 a share. This is a a big, big gamble and and not so much of an investment at this time. And it's funny, Chase, you brought up SPACs. I was thinking the same thing. And and by the way, SPAC stands for, I remember, the Special Purpose Acquisition, I think, Corporation or Company. I think Mm -hmm. it's Corporation. And what it virtually is, is it's a blind pool. Uh, They get your money. They're not going to tell you what they're going to invest in. And they find something good. Okay, we're going to invest in this. Well, you, it, and and the way they pay it out, I mean, when I, I looked at this, like the payouts can be very low. Uh, I, I highly recommend people stay away from these SPACs. It's just another thing that Wall Street's created to have Wall Street make a lot of money, and yet the little guy ends up losing money. Well, it's funny. They've been around for years, but they've they been have. quite popular as of late. Yeah. And it's kind of funny how uh, these things resurface yeah. <laughs> and so forth. So, so Artura, based on what we're seeing, I mean, and again, it could do fantastic. But if, again, we can't see something... We can understand something. We'll never invest into it. And if it is a SPAC, I, and again, they could do fantastic. I got to tell you, please stay, stay away from them. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Toro. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, those SPACs, I just, and again, I think they've been around since the 70s, I believe. I, yeah, I want to say it's yeah. been quite a while. I remember reading about them and all of a sudden they became popular again and so forth. And and the thing is, it's just, just way for Wall Street to, to make money. And I, I can't remember the details because I think it was probably back in February or March. I, I, I read about it and how that the owners can take a profit before somebody gets anything else. And it's just, it's really laid towards the, the owners of this back. I mean, it's been interesting. I mean, you've seen a couple of companies like Virgin Galactic and now Nikola and now this company. I mean, they're out there, but you just have no idea what they're going to invest in until they do. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Virgin Galactic very well in 20 years could be a huge, huge hit. Right. But that's why I say with these these SPACs, it's, you know, if you want to be a little risky and, and go to Vegas and you want to, you know, gamble a little bit, I don't like to gamble personally. It's funny. We actually had a, a guy in the office not too long ago saying, I know one of you guys owns Tesla. And we're like, nope, neither <laughs> one of us gamble. We do not like to gamble. And, and unless maybe I'll, I'll play blackjack now with like, five, ten dollars, but yeah, you know, yeah, not anything yeah. big time. Um, but the point is these are pure gambling plays. This is not a way where I'd say, yeah, invest, you know, six to ten percent of your portfolio in this company and that's a wise move. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's what you have to kind of look at is that buy good businesses. And again, if you want to gamble and, and again I, I will go to Vegas. I like going to Vegas once in a while. Uh my limit's five hundred dollars while wow, big big spender. But what I like to do is I like to sit down at the table at the blackjack table uh, I, and I look for the personality of the dealer, who's at the table. It's more of a social thing. It's like I'm paying to be social with with great people, and it's kind of something they have in common to kind of. But I, but I when I lose five hundred, oh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. So and and not gambling at all. I just and that's why we do when we invest in our companies. Not and I get I get a little bit irritated, a little bit frustrated. People say, oh, you're just gambling. No, we're not. We're spending. 15, 20, 25 hours to research this business. I'm sorry, that is not gambling. We 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 are buying a business 
for three to five years. I, I almost take offense to it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, phone number is 866 577 2473. Again, that's 866 577 2473. Let's head out, head out to or up to Buena Park and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Thanks for being there. Um, so I, I own uh, Cadence Design System. Okay. And uh, I've had it in my portfolio for, uh, oh, several years. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it, and, you know, it, it, it is in the tech sector, but it's the, I, I like to look for the companies in the tech sector that are a little bit more uh, tangential mm-hmm. to the tech sector rather than being the, the front company. Um, but these guys have been around since 88, and what they do is they, <clears throat> they provide solutions and, and, and services to integrated circuit design um, and uh, testing and improvement and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know, the prospects for it look pretty solid, but I've got a, a huge gain in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's pulled back, you know, as everybody in that whole sector has been whacked. And I thought, well, I don't know, maybe instead of taking some chips off the table with it, maybe this is a good time to pick up a little bit more of it, sort of dollar cost average with it, if I like it really long term. Yeah, and that always, always depends on how much percentage-wise it makes up in your portfolio, if you should do that or not. And and surprise, we do hold a tech company or two in our portfolio as well, but it's not the high flyers. And you're right, you, it, there are not all tech companies are overpriced. You want to try to find the good businesses, like, again, we'll tell you if we like this one or not, uh, that are reasonably priced, and maybe you could add to it. So let's take a look at uh, Cadence Design Systems Incorporated, symbol CDNS. Uh, not a bad start here. PE ratio 29.2 versus 53. Price to sales 12.1, about the same as the industry at 11. Price to book value very good, 24 versus 83. And price to cash flow looks good as well, 25.7 versus 34. Now the company does not pay a dividend. Their sales look pretty decent, uh, 7.8%. That is below the industry at 12.7, but still a decent growth on their sales. Uh, earnings per share, you want to check this one out because they were up 141% when the industry was down 11.7, or I'm sorry, up 11.7. But how can they grow earnings 140% with sales growth of eight? You got to understand that one. Balance sheet looks very good for this company. We do see current ratio 1.4 versus a 2.2. Uh, debt to equity, 31. Very good. Industry is at 85 Wow, return on equity is 55 versus 27. Net profit margin checking in at 41.7 versus 20. And I'm getting the feeling they could have sold an asset or something here to have such high uh, net profit margin return on equity. So check that. We do see receivable turnover is 8.5 versus 6.1. And inventory turnover 6.1 versus 15. Wish that was higher. Chase, what do you have with the earnings going forward on Cadence? Yeah, so current price here is $105.88. 52-week high, $117.59. And 52-week low, $51.39. If I look out to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share, $2.74. Unfortunately, it would give us a target sell price of $44.39. I mean, this still fits into more of a a growth company. It's not what we do with the the value investing. I I do see that they they have kind of grown at a a consistent rate. It looks like they're estimated to, you know, in 2022, $2.95. 2023, $3.02. But the problem is... 
if that growth decelerates, all of a sudden you lose that growth lure and that PE comes back down lower to a more normalized rate. And what point will that be? I'm not sure. It, it is a little expensive at this time yeah. is, is what I would have to say. And, and Jeff, you want to look, look to find out why the earnings per share were so high and so forth. And it, it looks like this could be a sell, even though it sounds like it's not as bad as the other ones. But again, with 141% growth in earnings, as Chase said, over the target sell price, uh, you may want to look a little bit deeper and decide that, yeah, maybe I should sell this as opposed to buy it more. All righty? All right. Appreciate it. Okay, Jeff, thanks for coming. Hey, Have you too, man. guys. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, let's head out to, I was going to say my town, Scripps Ranch, but I moved from there about a month ago, so I no longer <laughs> live in Scripps Ranch. But let's go out to Scripps Ranch and speak with Ryan. Ryan, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brunt Chase. How can we help you? Morning, Brent and Chase. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for being there. I wanted to ask you about an ETF. I know it's a little harder and not specific one stock, but um, I'm holding uh, ARKK. Um, been really bullish, been really strong, as the rest of the tech center kind of crumbled last week. Um, so today, and it's it's just been one of those um, funds that are that has just performed so well for me recently that it's just like i'm kind of at a crossroads kind of like the last caller it's like i kind of want to reload but i'm at that point now where and i know what you guys say and this this uh fund is kind of full of the high flyers tech emerging disruptive technology just wanted to know what you guys thought of arkk well, and, and I can't pull up any fundamentals on that, so I'm going to kind of guide you on what you should be looking at with an ETF. I mean, first off, you want to know all the positions in that ETF. Do you have that, Chase? Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. so Chase has that. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you listened to the show at the beginning here, Ryan, but definitely has some concerns on this, but I'll let Brent finish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, so, yeah, so, yeah I, did miss okay. The, I did miss the first 20 minutes, so I apologize for oh, that. Oh, no worries, no worries. And, and you can pick it up on a podcast, uh, what, at our website? Our website, website, on iTunes, yeah. wherever it may yeah, be. Get the first part. But uh, anyway, so you want to look at, you know, want to understand what's in the portfolio. Then you also want to understand what's the concentration. You say, well, you, you know, they may have some high flyers. Those high, high flyers could be a big concentration, maybe not. You want to understand that. Um, and, and then you want to see, does the value uh, of what you're having there that, that's in the portfolio, is that worth more or less than what this, the ETF is trading at? So there's a, ETFs can be very tricky because, uh, yeah. and, and we had some problems with this back many years ago, could come up again. Chase? Yeah, so I, I do have the answers to your questions. <laughs> I guess so you have to do the research there, the, uh, Ryan. <laughs> the top 10 holdings make up 57% of mm-hmm. the portfolio, so or of the ETF. So it's a very concentrated ETF, which is one reason you've done so well. And one reason you've done so well is Tesla makes up 10% Ooh. of the entire yep. ETF, which, you know, I, that's why I asked if you listen to the beginning of the show. There's a lot of concerns we have about Tesla. If this Tesla were to fall, let's say another 20%, this ETF is going to have some big, big problems. But I look at the other companies in here. I mean, Square's nearly 8%. That's also very expensive. Illumina, I have a good friend that works for Illumina. I think it's an amazing company, and what they're doing is phenomenal, but it's very expensive. It's a very high risk. I mean, Roku's in here at 4.5%. I mean, there's all these companies, as you said, that are disruptors, and they trade at these these high, high levels, but all of a sudden, they get new competition. They're going to fall off a cliff, and running this concentrated of a portfolio in these high-risk names it can pay off for you, but it can also just be a huge, huge detriment down the road. And one thing we do when, when people come in to look at becoming clients, we do a presentation for them and so forth. We have a slide in there, value versus growth. And we actually show that over the, the worst three-year period that uh, the worst value did was down about 24%. But growth, the worst three-year period, is down like 55%. And and that's what you could see on things like this. And in our 
point is, is if we're down 24% over three years, people are not going to be happy, but they're not going right. to mostly make the wrong decision. You lose more right. than half your money, you're going to say, this is it, I'm out, I can't take any more because I don't lose all my money. So that's where, again, you're kind of seeing with an ETF like this, it's done very well. How, how much are you up on it? Uh, almost 50%. I think my average I, uh, cost basis is around 45 on that. All right. So it just dropped just dropped below fifty percent. So I have about um, about twenty five percent, twenty percent of my portfolio um, is in this one. But I've kind of got it segmented in, into thirds, where this is kind of the aggressive side of my portfolio. I have a conservative side, and then just kind of uh, down the line. Uh, so I understand the risks in this. Uh, I definitely understand the risks in this. Uh, high flyers in the tech and, and I do not have all my money in this and, and it's just about a fifth of it. So um, I, I do understand the risk and my broker has told me that this is one that can kind of go both ways and, and uh, you got to be okay with that. Yep. And, and it's funny, we, we met with a client uh, this past week, a potential client. And again, <laughs> people come in with us with risky stuff. We always do say, if we're going to manage your money, we are going to sell out of that because we don't know what's going to happen. And I always tell people, I hope it works out for you. You know, I don't want to say anybody lose money, but if I manage right. the money for, for you, uh, we are not going to hold that portfolio. We're going to say, yeah, let's sell it, take that, and reinvest into good quality businesses that we know. And people say, how can you be so confident? For 40 years, you're so confident because we are buying businesses. We're not speculating. Because I can't tell you if, if, if this ETF is going to go up or down or what's going to happen with it. I, I just can't manage yeah. money that way. And I mean, the other thing I would tell you, I don't do this, but if I did do this, <laughs> you know, is you've done well and you've made 50% is, you know, you said it's about 25, 20, 25% of your portfolio. Sell a little bit of it. And at least, who yeah. knows, maybe it goes up even more. Yeah. If it goes down 50%, at least you took some profits there. I mean, that's what happens with gambling is uh, these high speculative investments. A lot of times people, they put more and more into it. And then all of a sudden it does crash. And now it's a huge problem. Just make sure it's not too high of a concentration. If you win on these gambles, don't be afraid to take a profit. Uh, Ryan, do you play yeah. poker? Uh, I, I, uh, unlike what you guys were previously saying, I, I am a gambler and I... Uh, I do enjoy a little bit of the risk. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you understand the risk, and, and, and that's good then. So, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, we would recommend at least sell part, some of it. Yeah. All righty. I appreciate your time, guys. Okay, Ryan. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye bye. You, you know, the the other thing, too, that, that's interesting, and uh, unfortunately, I see we have to do it here in uh, San Marcos. I don't think we're going to have time to get to him, but I uh, want to talk about Ford, which I want to talk yeah, about. No, so, make sure you call too. next week. But I, I was going to say, I was reading an article this past week, and I kind of want to dive down into it a little bit closer. I know you've done a post on this as well. ETFs generally are more tax efficient than mutual funds because you're not going to hit with distributions. Mm -hmm. But that's a lot of the large kind of passive ETFs. This article is kind of pinpointing that some of these more specialty ETFs, they could surprise you with some actually different tax hits that most commonly don't occur in, in the, the bigger ETF. So be cautious. This is only like right. a $4 billion ETF. It's not very large. You, you might get hit with some tax bills down the road that you weren't ready for as well. Yeah, it's true. Not all ETFs are created equal. Yep. So I got to be careful what you got. All righty. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 858- 546-4306 that's 858-546-4306 or visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com 
smartinvestor2000.com. And for more daily educational information, along with investing tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters. Closing song is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. And may I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.